0: Rise Up For You, be better today than yesterday, and prepare for a greater tomorrow. Hi everyone, this is Natalina with the Rise Up For You podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have an awesome episode with Duena Welch on love. This is probably one of the most exciting episodes we've ever done on love and romantic relationships, and please stick around to listen to this because you're not going to regret it. Today, Dwayne is gonna be talking with us about challenging the mindset and embracing accurate thinking when it comes to finding love and building romantic relationships. She's gonna be talking with us about more of the science of love And not the facts and the or what we think are facts on social media and the statistics that are running around that don't have any science behind them. Duana is going to dive into how negative relationship thoughts can sabotage your romantic relationships and your love life. And she's going to give us a little bit more information about what science is saying about love and the psychology of love when it comes to men and women. Rise up for you and enjoy this episode. Hi, Duena. Thank you so much for joining us today here on the Rise Up For You podcast. It's an honor to have you on the show. I always like to start off the show by letting the audience get to know our guest. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do?
1: Yeah, Netta, thanks so much for having me on your show. Um, I'm really excited that you're into empowering women, I like that as well. That's a big goal of mine. And um, how a little bit about me, I um, I have a Ph.D. in developmental psychology, but that wasn't really helping me in what I wanted most in my personal life, which was to have a loving lifelong relationship and so eventually after a really painful breakup it occurred to me that maybe some other people out there maybe some other scientists in the social sciences had actually looked at that question how do people get into a happy lifelong relationship what do they do once they're there can I apply it to my life and I found that the answers to all of those were yes and so I did it for myself and now that's what I do professionally through writing public speaking and seeing clients. Okay, so really you got into this field um, through
0: experience, through something that happened into your life, and then that was more of an aha moment for you that led you into this new field?
1: Yeah, I was actually getting a PhD in memory and aging, which is not what I do now. So really my own deep desire for a happy love life led to what I do now. Um, Just out of curiosity, because you know,
0: love tends to be the one element in our lives that people just can't seem to really get right. Um, Or, you know, it's never, there's never an easy fix. There's never just, you know, A, B, C, D, E formula. Why do you think it's so difficult for people, whether they're overachievers or entrepreneurs, or they could be very successful in life? Why do you think it's difficult for them to find success in just love in relationships that are romantic?
1: Get out of my head. This is exactly (laughs) what I was thinking to myself. It's exactly what I was thinking to myself back when I was having such a struggle. I I remember thinking things like, I'm really good at my job. You know, I I work really hard and I make things happen. And I see all these people around me finding love. And, um, you know, I just don't understand why it's eluding me. And I've often found that um, really successful people sometimes aren't aren't so good at this because some of the skills that help us to be successful at work are really help. They are really helpful in finding love, but others of them aren't so much. And so um, one of my big mistakes was assuming that men and women have the same mating psychology and assuming that the things I was being told culturally about finding a partner were true. And that therefore I should um, basically act like a man in the world of dating and that, uh, it would all turn out and that I really didn't need to have much of a plan beyond that. Mm. Very, And it did all turn out. It turned out horribly. <laughs> <laughs> so do, would you say that it's possible that
0: maybe it's more of the feminine and masculine, um, attributes that we take on, you know, maybe sometimes we tend to be more masculine or, um, too feminine or not finding that balance.
1: I think it's more the case that um, a lot of times when we are dating, if you're heterosexual and you're dating, the natural inclination is to impose our own mating psychology on the opposite sex. And so one thing that women really value, for example, is what uh, sociologist Shelley Taylor calls tending and befriending. When women meet each other, we try to meet each other on equal footing. For example, uh, I have a de- I have a dentist, and she goes by her first name. But the male dentist I used to have went by doctor. So men tend to have a hierarchy, and they tend to impose that. For example, through titles, and they always want to know where they are in their status relationships. Whereas women, even when they're very high status, tend to um, you know, we tend to try to be more on an equal footing, and so. Um, a lot of us mistakenly try to buddy up to men when we first are getting to know them and treat them as if we're kind of already in a long-term relationship with them. And I will tell you, men find that off-putting usually, unless they just want casual sex, in which case they love it. But if they're looking for a lifelong partner, they tend to find that off-putting. They tend to get a little confused. They tend to lose some of their excitement about you, and they tend to assume that you're lower status since you're not imposing status on them.
0: Very interesting. Wow. I never thought of it that way before. So how do you, how do you, um, say the mindset comes into play with love and building relationships? You know, what are some of the things that we're doing uh, mentally, maybe that we don't even know that can really affect our relationships romantically?
1: Yeah. So the other day, um, Another podcaster wanted to ask me how to answer the question, uh, what do you say if someone um, asks you why you aren't in a relationship? And so I put that out there to my Facebook audience. Now, I want to emphasize that I try to answer questions based on science and not opinion, but I often like to see what people's opinions are before I drop the science bomb, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of what I got back from my Facebook audience was, frankly, inaccurate thinking. Um, For example, relationships aren't worth it. Marriage isn't worth it. Long-term relationships don't work out. So the reason I'm not in one is because I don't want a guaranteed failure. And that's an inaccurate mindset. So the first step is challenging the mindset you have and embracing accurate thinking. And so, for example, one place you can do that is social science. You know, science is... Not perfect, but it is the very closest thing to perfect we have in solving a lot of problems, including social problems. And I kind of consistently amazed that I guess social science needs better public relations, Netta. Yeah. (laughs) We we need we need better marketing. We need better information out there that tells people, you know, just like you wouldn't want to go to a non-scientist to fix your broken leg. You shouldn't be going to non scientific resources when it comes to fixing your broken heart or your broken relationships. So, um, eliminate those inaccurate thoughts and embrace accurate thinking. For example, when I asked one of the people on my Facebook thread, Well, why don't you think relationships are worth it? Why do you think that uh, marriage doesn't work out? She cited that 50% of all marriages fail. And the accurate, Percentage right now is one third of relationships that our marriages fail. Two thirds succeed for an entire lifetime. Most of the one third that get divorced wind up in a permanent mateship later on. So in fact, most people wind up permanently partnered and happily so. You know, you bring a really
0: great point up. Is that there is a lot of, um, there's a lot of because of media, there's a lot of information that is circulating that um, is false. That's not accurate. That doesn't have you know the right statistics or the facts. um, And people tend to latch onto them and believe them. In which case, as you mentioned. that You know, it can really affect them personally, professionally, and really in all areas. And you bringing up this idea of really embracing, you know, the social science and this way of thinking, um, you know, it's kind of a game changer for our society, I think.
1: It is, you know, but as they say in the media, if it bleeds, it leads. 50% is a dramatic percentage, but it's never been accurate. The closest we ever got to a 50% divorce rate for first marriages was in the 1970s when it was 47%, but even that isn't 50%. So, what's happening a lot is um, the media is really not fact checking itself sometimes when it comes to intimate relationships. A lot of people. And I don't understand why this is, but they don't take intimate relationships seriously. It's like they'll fact check something that's about your car, or they'll fact check something that's about your body, but they won't fact check something that we now know from science is more intimately related to your lifelong happiness and actually your physical health than all of these other things. Mm. Your physical health, to a large degree, rests on the quality of the relationship that you build or do not build with one other person
0: hundred percent. And how do we overcome, you know, as human beings, how do we overcome our struggles mentally when we're trying to push forward to a successful relationship? And we have like, you know, this monkey chatter and all these beliefs that we impose and expectations that we, you know, we want from our partner when we're trying to find them.
1: Well, one way of challenging them is to capture self thinking thoughts that could be, um, harmful to your search for a partner, and to ask yourself, is it true? Do I have real evidence that this is always true? For example, um, I taught university for about 20 years, and I used to ask my students if they thought that they, if they wanted a happy lifelong relationship, and almost every hand would be raised in every class. And then I would say, do you think you can have it? And most hands would drop. And I would then say, do you know anyone who has a happy relationship. And, um, occasionally I get one or two hands and this is after they had known me for three or even four months. And I myself am happily married. They were tuning out any evidence that disconfirmed their belief that relationships don't work out. So one of the things that's necessary is when you catch yourself thinking negative relationship thoughts, ask yourself, is it true? Because, um, When I really drill down with that, my students would acknowledge, well, yeah, my parents have a happy marriage, or yes, I have friends who are in a happy marriage, or yes, uh, there's this Hollywood couple that has a happy marriage, but they've been discounting that because they say, oh, that's just an exception. No, actually, the really unhappy relationships are the exceptions. You're just paying attention to them. It's like thinking that your plane is going to crash. Plane crashes are truly exceptional. They do happen, but they are so newsworthy that they actually make the news. Car crashes don't, because they're actually a lot more common.
0: Hmm. True. And we don't ever think about it that way, right? So we get on that plane, and we're worried that it's going to crash, and we think it's going to happen, but it's, I mean, what are the odds, right? So, you know— You talk a lot about science, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are wondering, okay, what does that mean? Um, what what is science saying about you know romance and relationships and love? And I know it's a huge topic, and we can probably do you know a series of episodes on it. But you know, what are some of the top things that I guess science is saying right now in regards to you know building a romantic relationship and finding love
1: successfully? Sure. Well, the number one thing is that putting effort into finding and keeping love is worthwhile because most people get a tremendous amount of benefit from this. Married people on average are twice as happy as people who are in any other kind of relationship, meaning they're twice as happy as people who are cohabiting. They're twice as happy as people who are divorced or never married. So they're twice as happy as people who are widowed. So the idea that marriage doesn't confer any benefits or it's just a piece of paper is patently false. And it brings people benefits not just in terms of happiness, but in terms of how long they live, how healthy they are during their lifetime, um, how well their children do in almost every regard, how far they advance in their careers. I don't know anyone who doesn't want this stuff, but I'll, I'll see people put all their effort into a career. And I have a PhD, and I have put a lot of effort in my career, and I'm really happy I did that. But my marriage is what makes my happiness greater every day than my career does. And that's true for most people most of the time. So I think the first thing is to to understand that science has tracked over decades what is happening in people's lives, how happy, how healthy, how wealthy, uh, how high-functioning they are as a consequence of choices they are making, and to understand that your efforts towards finding and keeping a good, lifelong partnership with full commitment, Those efforts are are well spent.
0: Hmm. Um, It's it's hard for, I think, a lot of people to believe that, right? Because as you said, they tend to want to go, I guess, more towards the negative information that's out there that, oh, you know, it's not worthwhile and, you know, people getting divorced and, you know, causes a lot of conflict. But opposed to looking at that, which I mean, a lot of people are probably listening and thinking, really, this is true that marriage creates happiness twice as much as somebody that's not married.
1: I mean, you know, marriage basically has has terrible PR because telling people (laughs) what works is not how you get clickbait, right? Clickbait is the horror stories. And so uh, I guess I'm here to challenge the clickbait and to say, instead of organizing your life around clickbait, organize your life around facts. That's why my book is called Love Factually, because having the facts in your corner, and we know what the facts are. For many things, not for all things, but for many things, we social scientists know what the facts are about finding and keeping lifelong happy partnerships. And arming yourself with those facts will help you to combat the negative information that is currently driving your thinking. Uh, Another example would be um, people who just want men and women to have the exact same dating mindset. I also want men and women to have the exact same dating mindset, but we don't. And wanting that, it's kind of like I also want to eat all the chocolate that I want and never gain weight, but that's not going to happen. So I'm going to either have to become okay with gaining weight or I'm going to have to consume less chocolate. Mm. I'm either going to have to learn more about the mindset and mating psychology of the gender that I want to attract or I'm going to have to be okay with a high fail rate. So again, letting knowledge guide us, um, allowing ourselves to have self-compassion and compassion for others by understanding what is, as opposed to assuming that it is the way we want it to be.
0: What are, you know, where are some places or what are some things you can tell us about um, the psychology of the opposite gender? Let, I guess specifically, let's talk about, you know, males, you know, uh, is there anything that just really sticks out to you that you could think of top of mind that, has been scientifically proven that men do that women just don't understand or maybe turning a blind eye into?
1: Yes. Uh, two things. Men, men live their lives in hierarchy. They're either one up or one down in all their relationships. And when they fall in love, they want to be one down. They want to, and I don't mean they want to be with somebody who treats them badly. I mean, they want to admire and esteem you more than they admire and esteem themselves. Wow. Okay, I I, so, I haven't thought that before, but I mean,
0: now that you say it, it kind of makes sense.
1: Yes, they they want someone that they can feel really proud of having been lucky enough to win her heart, and so um, there are certain behaviors that we know from global research human to think that this is a woman who might be right for Mrs. Wright, not just Miss Right now. Because another idea I want to introduce is men simultaneously have mating psychologies that are Miss Right now and Mrs. Wright. They're constantly operating with both kind of operating systems, Mm -hmm. short-term sex, long-term commitment. And so um, when you first meet a man, even if he says he's looking for a wife, that doesn't mean he's looking at you as his wife. You could go into one category or another very quickly depending on your behavior and whether his feelings for you develop or not. And you can't make a man fall in love with you, but unfortunately you can kind of lower your own status so much that he can't fall in love with you. So learning about male psychology is really helpful because it tells you, okay, if men are living in hierarchy and if they have these two mating psychologies operating all the time, what are the markers they're looking for that say, yes, she could be the one? And I will tell you, to a large extent, those markers are women showing um, signs that men consider high status and high self-respect, which means that that these women won't give rapid sexual access. They won't. Mm. These women also won't cut off all their other dating options right away. They're high enough status that they have other options, and they don't have to say yes to you when you say, hey, you want to hang out tonight? They're not available tonight. They already have plans. They're not bitchy about it either. They just, you know, very politely and say, well, I really wish I could go with you, but I already have plans tonight. If he wants you, he'll figure out, wow, she's got something on the ball. I need to ask a couple days in advance with this one. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I'm, t- I'm taking all this information in i'm processing it <laughs> okay anything else that you that you would um i guess another tip that you would say that's top of mind that's really important for us to know
1: well uh, in my experience with clients And I have clients all over the world through Skype. But in in my experience, locally, nationally, and internationally, a big underlying reason people aren't finding love is that they haven't yet really challenged their own ambivalent feelings about it. You know, I've heard from a lot of people who would want the right partner if that person dropped into their life and, and melded their life to theirs. But that's not how the world works. Mm. How the world works is we have to work at this just like we would all laugh if someone said, I want the perfect job, but if it's meant to be, it'll happen with no effort on my part. Right. We would know that that's not going to happen. But people frequently do um, say that directly and indirectly through their behavior. When it comes to love, they basically say through their behavior, I'm not going to put any effort into this. If this thing that could actually affect my happiness, my sex life, my wealth, my health, my longevity, and my children's futures more than any other decision I'm making. I'm not going to put any effort into that one. Hmm. So we have to examine our ambivalence. I have my clients write a list. What's more important to you right now than finding love? What are you putting effort into rather than this? Because if you want this, it has to become a part-time job for you. You know, in college and high school, you you really could just happen to find someone. But once you're no longer in environments that um, are kind of overwhelmed with the available, single, and appropriate, and I even have a lot of complaints from kids in high school and students in college, too. I mean, they they find this challenging, finding a partner also. Um, But once you're out of those environments, you're really going to have to work at it and deciding that, you know what, this probably isn't going to be fun. I'm probably going to have to treat it like a job interview and I'm going to have to nurture pretending that it's fun, but it's actually work. But because the payoff is likely to be so great, I'm willing to do that work. Those are the folks that really succeed. You know, you're you're so right and it's
0: it's very interesting to to hear people say, you know, it just it'll happen if it's meant to happen or I shouldn't be in a relationship where I have to work and I and I always tend to think the opposite. I'm like, "No, I I think you do have to work if you want to nurture a relationship and have it last for a long time. It does take work. You can't just sit on the couch and hope that it's all going to magically happen.
1: Yeah. And and what's really interesting. So I write books that are about the before you meet, when you meet and when you're trying to make a decision to commit. My first book love factually is for all men and women who Uh, would like to use science rather than just opinion as a basis for finding and keeping the right partnership. My book I'm working on now is for anyone who is or is dating a single parent. It's that same kind of thing, but with the specific challenges of single parenthood. But all of that in mind, um, there's a different set of tasks when you're looking for the right partner than when you have found the right partner. It's a different set of tasks. And so, you know, Mine are the only, mine's the only book out there right now that's based on science instead of pure opinion um, for people who are, who are dating. But when it comes to marriage or you're in that long-term partnership, everyone has problems. And uh, everyone, even happy couples, that actually really surprised me, by the way. It's one of the things I learned from science that really shocked me. I thought happy couples had just worked it all out, you know, or that they always fixed their problems and then moved on to fixing the next one. It's not true. Happy and unhappy couples even have the same percentage of intractable, unsolvable problems. It's 69% of your problems are never going to get solved. But beyond that, happy and un- unhappy couples have really different ways that they live with their chronic conditions, as I call them, their chronic problems. And there are other books that address that. I just would really like everyone to stop thinking of relationships as something based on luck and start thinking of them based on skill set and skill set being highly learnable. And it needs to be based on fact instead of opinion. Joanna, this
0: has been such an amazing conversation. Very, very enlightening. I'd love to jump into the power section of our interview, if that's Okay. Sure. Can you tell us one book that you've read that has had a massive impact on your life that you would recommend to us?
1: Yes, there's one that's kind of continually on my nightstand and on my Kindle. I use it in my own marriage. It's called um, The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work by Dr. John Gottman, G-O-T-T-M-A-N. This is a science-based platinum standard book on how to behave in your long-term intimate relationship. So if you're already in a long-term intimate relationship, that is the book for you.
0: Wonderful. And what's one thing that you've accomplished that you're proud of?
1: Uh, Taking what was a terrible problem for me using science to solve it, and then helping other people. I I really did not set out in life to become an expert in relationship science or to write a book, but I've done both of those things, and um, it's brought me a lot of satisfaction to see how it's changing people's lives.
0: And are there any routines that you have that help you get a positive rise in your life, something that you do in the morning or a daily routine?
1: I walk 10,000 steps a day, and if I don't, I'm pretty cranky. (laughs) So (laughs) that's the big thing for me. The other thing is I go to bed at midnight and get up at eight, seven days a week, and that has made a huge difference. Just Your body wants regular habits. That's actually one of the reasons marriage makes people so happy is because it gives you routine predictability and emotional stability. You, you have someone to count on and rely on and who cares about you. And your body wants your whole life to be that way. So I've embraced having a regular sleep-wake schedule and making sure I get my four miles of exercise in a day, and that makes all the difference.
0: Wonderful. And is there anything, Duana, that we didn't get a chance to talk about that you want to say or share with our audience? You know, one last piece of golden nugget.
1: Yes. So um, this is kind of the distillation of more than 50 years of outstanding relationship science. Here it is. If you can find and be someone whose default is kind and respectful, then your love life is going to go great. And if you can't, it won't.
0: Wonderful. Thank you again so much for joining us today, Duena. How do we stay connected and how do we support you? Where can we find your book and keep in touch with you?
1: Sure. The book's available in ebook, audiobook, and uh, in paperback. And you can find a link to all of these different things. You could go directly to Amazon or something, but you can get a free chapter at the book's landing page, which is love factually. That's love factually with an F C O. And uh you can see links to other things that I'm involved with there as well, including my website, how to become a client, etc.
0: Wonderful. Thank you again so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Netta. It's been a pleasure.
0: I hope you enjoyed that podcast episode. If so, please share it with your friends and your family. You can post it on social media and just help us spread the word. We would really, really appreciate it. And if you haven't already, you can head over to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast and let us know how we're doing. You can leave us a review and a rating of the podcast because we would love to know how we're doing and we want your help to be better. Plus this really is one of the best ways to support our podcast rise up for You can also find this on SoundCloud, Podcast Directory, Blueberry. And of course, if you head over to our website, www.riseupforyou.com, you can check out all of the show notes and listen to the podcast on the website. Thank you again for tuning in to Rise Up For You. Be better today than yesterday and prepare for a greater tomorrow.